Persuasive Words. I'm Scott Jones. And I'm Bill Boer. And we are here today in the bunker yet again to... We we don't often... We kind of threw out what we we're going to talk about a Yeah, few I know. You, you put a little pressure because people actually are interested. Exactly. And that means we... When it's just you and I interested, there's not a lot of pressure there. No. And sometimes we decide when you're on the ride over... <laughs> there, oh, there has been times that we've done that. Been, we've, and actually, there have been times, maybe as we were walking down the steps to the bunker, that the decision was made. Yeah. But I saw you coming up my steps today. I, was, I almost was in tears that you had this copy of Church Dogmatics 2 2 under your arm. I was. So I was, I was walking, my heart was strangely warm. I was walking with Bart. <laughs> yeah. Now, see, I, even though I did not put him in my, uh, my golf bag. Uh, you saw that question, right? It came yeah, I, I was going to respond. I just made a, a sarcastic response about Joel Olstein, but I didn't. Uh, I didn't respond yet. But yeah, well, anyway, yeah, and I, uh, I ignored your sarcastic comment you about Joel Olstein. You did, which is okay. You're entitled to ignore. Well, comments. I think sometimes it's better left. Left. Some things are better left unsaid. Such as. Um, a response to your comment on Joe Olstein. <laughs> okay, there is. I guess I sort of. That's a pretty simple response. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So we actually, I read this summary of something from the Post Bardian, which is a like a blog that I it shows up, you know, their tweets and stuff, and or or maybe shows up my Facebook feed or something, but. This title from the Postbardian website or blog here, which I think is written by Wyatt Holitz, it looks like. The title of this short post is The Gospel is Law, Karl Barth on the Relationship Between Law and Gospel. And he says in the beginning that this is a perennial debate between the, especially between the Lutheran and the Reformed churches. The Lutheran doctrine of law and gospel tends towards dualism, and the reform tends toward identity, although the Lutheran approach has a wider acceptance, even by much of the reformed churches. I think a lot of evangelicals, too, kind of end up Lutheran. They maybe end up Lutheran in their soteriology, but then kind of Calvinistic in how they go about the Christian life. I think that's absolutely true. Yeah. And he says that Bart poses a new solution— Bart identifies law and gospel such that the law is the result of the gospel. Gospel is law. And he's, he sort of argues in this brief post that, um, that for Bart, there, there's one word of God that is gospel and law, and they're, inseparate, they're inseparable. And one clearly flows from the other. Right. So he's, he's, you, could, you could sort of, this post argues, you could see this as look at it real quick and go, how is this not the reform position? Well, in fact, I think somebody posted that on our Facebook comment, our Facebook post, but it, it isn't quite, is it? No, I, it, yeah, I actually think that, um, 
he's trying to bring a biblical corrective to what was, I think, um, well, well, let me still get it this way. I was thinking about this. Okay. Um, what uh, the late medieval church had done with the doctrine of grace was had so entangled it with a, a totally extra biblical approach to uh, penance and indulgences. Again, actually, I think there's a lot of psychological merit to penance. Um, and I think that actually... I think there's a lot of psychological merit to uh, penance and pirates up. It's <laughs> so great. So that's a, a, a Gilbert and Sullivan. Right. right. No, it is. Yeah. yeah. I am the captain of the pinafore and the right good captain too. Wow. And he's never, never sick at sea. Wow, you knew a whole line from Gilbert and Sullivan. Yeah, I used to get beat up a lot in high school. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, poor guy. But anyway, well, I'm, but you, no one would try to fight you now because you. I'm lean. You're lean and mean. Yeah, but um, so this problem of this entanglement of grace under this whole layers of indulgences that really had become a kind of uh, it really was a justification by works. <clears throat> And Luther and others, Luther wasn't the only one. Matter of fact, uh, for a while, like in the uh, 1530s, there was a pope who kind of agreed with, uh, agreed with Luther for a while. So this was not an issue that was, you know, only, a, uh, only Protestants who became Protestants were struggling with. I think uh, what happens with Luther and, and Calvin in many ways follows along with this is kind of a nuclear option. In other words, it's, a, it's they so radically – uh, or you could think like where sometimes where chemotherapy kills the patient uh, in attempts to root out this entanglement of of grace from a very wrong, extra-biblical, uh, antithetical to the gospel kind of approach to good deeds and works. In many ways, it, it's, it distorted the doctrine of grace. It, and the cure, in many ways, I think, created as many, well, no, I won't say as many problems, but create a whole set of different problems that, uh, matter of fact, the Lutheran-Calvinist <laughs> debate is a symptom of that problem. And uh, I think Bart is trying to, really inspired by the idea that Jesus himself said, I come to fulfill the law, which the interesting thing is people have to not take that quite literally or seriously if you're going to take an extreme Lutheran or extreme Calvinist perspective, and I think, in some levels, this work in this section of the, of, uh, of dogmatic seems to be inspired by that idea. How is it that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law? Uh, but you are the Bart expert, so I'll defer to you. I'm not the Bart expert, but I spent more time than than I have with it, the Bart than Gilbert and Solomon. That's, well, that's for sure, right? Uh, yeah, I think that. Okay, so I. I I think of in Romans 10, when Jesus says, I, I'm the, I've come not to abolish law, but to fill it. I also think of sort of in Romans 10 where, where Paul calls Jesus the telos namas, the yes, end of the yes, law. Yes, yes. You know, it's interesting because— And the end may be the fulfillment. Right, or the, right. The ta- I mean, telos could be fulfillment, like yeah, you know, think, end, it ends, yeah. like the ends of your ambition or project. Or So I think that it's really interesting. Or the natural fulfillment. The natural fulfillment, yeah, the, the direction. So— you know, N.T. Wright was talking about once, you know, Paul's view on the law, and he said, you know, the law is good. He's like, but for Paul, with Torah and these things, he would, he would say that, you know, Jesus fulfilling the law, it's like 
the 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 booster rockets on the space shuttle, right? They their their telos is to get the, the shuttle out of orbit, right. and then they, they get jettisoned off. He said that you know it would be very strange to see after the jettison the astronauts put on their spaces and go walk out and try to get them back because so they, exactly. they've they've they're good in that they've so the the law and the pride it's like romans 3 the, the law the righteousness of god comes uh, apart from the law but testified to by the law right. and the prophets so this this christ event reconciling event it's this is this is i think in paul's mind and i think jesus says things that suggest this and certainly that the, the coming of christ is or in jeremiah when there's the promise i guess in 31 that They'll become a new. They'll have the law in your hearts. There'll be right. a new covenant. Be written, written yeah, with the spirit. You know, like which actually no one else in the Hebrew Scriptures deals with. Yeah, because like Ezekiel has a new law too, but it's it's a lot like the old one. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so I think that what Bart is saying here is when he says he actually says you know in the sites lats the little summary sentences. Uh, let me get my little. Uh, and this is under section the command of God. Ethics is a task of the doctrine of God. As, it, as the doctrine of God's command, ethics interprets the law as the form of the gospel, i.e. as the sanctification which comes to man through the electing God. Because Jesus Christ is the holy God and sanctified man in one, it has its basis in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Because the God who claims man for himself makes himself originally responsible for him, it forms part of the doctrine of God. Its function is to bear primary witness to the grace of God insofar as this is the saving engagement and commitment of man. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, as I think this little summary also notes is that this comes, this section comes after his discussion of election. Yeah. And what, you know, often Christians don't really understand how Jews look at the law. Um, but, but this, there's a really important connection here. I mean, again, obviously there's different, there's different approaches to the Torah and the Jewish community. But people who take the Torah seriously and, you know, are still in the active rabbinical tradition, you know, the law is about election for Jews as well. In other words, I think this is an interesting where he ties it together because it's not, the emphasis is not so much, okay, now you have to follow this law, but the fact is you were chosen and I gave you my law, I gave you my revelation uh, to be a light unto the nations and a lot of different, you know, there's all kinds of different reasons that happens. And so I think this is where it's really kind of a, a really brilliant connection that Bart does because if ultimately Jesus is the elect of God for all of us, okay, then as he says, all the elections, okay, all the covenants would be contained within that. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. And I think that so what Bart's saying is that I think that the election of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is is both the object and subject of election. Right. So election actually is how is God's eternal decision to be God in no other way than God with and for us. Right. And so I think Bart here is saying that 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 ethics is sort of I think well Brian Garrish in, in his little Christian faith dogmatics and outline says that um, for Schleiermacher. Schleiermacher classified Christian doctrine and Christian ethics as coordinate branches of a single descriptive dogmatics, which I think Bart would agree with. He proposed to do theological ethics in the indicative rather than the imperative mood. It describes the patterns of behavior that flow from the life of Christ, as does Paul's ethic in, of love in 1 Corinthians 13, which tells what love does, not what it ought to do. 
other variant definitions of, of the fields um, it can be offered, and he kind of goes on. But I think that that's interesting because Bart says something very similar that he's that this is mapping out what uh, what the redeeming grace of God looks like as it it brings the prodigal home. You know that there's it's so I think that's interesting that that seeing that like w- the second part of his statement. The gospel is law. I think he's thinking of the law of love in a descriptive right. sense. That God, I mean, for for Bart, God is is defined by as the one who loves in freedom and and in fellowship as God is is trinitarian. So I think that he's describing what happens. I mean, the telos of Christ of Christ, the telos of the, of the Christ event, is the beloved and forgiven one who loves in freedom. Who, 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 as a result, can uh, go, live in newness of life. So I think that that, to me, it's that the indicative imperative relationship. I think is is important, um, and it's it's interesting. I mean, I think that I think he is doing something subtle here that is is a little different than when we hear people like debate in the third use of the law or right. something like that. Like the the, the role of uh, of sort of prescriptive ethics or something in the Christian life. Well, you know, it's interesting. What happens, I think, practically with the third use of the law is they are Christocentric when it comes to their salvation, and then they revert back to almost a approach to the Jewish law in a way that has nothing to do with Christ. It's almost like they forget, you know, that. And I think... Uh, this is why I think often, again, Protestants have trouble understanding why Jews view the law as a gift. Because exactly as you said, what you know the Christ event is. It's for them the, the Jew. The gift of law is God for and God with with them. I mean, that's the ultimate pro- promise or hope of the fulfillment of the Mosaic Covenant is, and I will be your God and you will be my people. That this was a seen as a process towards that end, that they were elected by God when he chose them and brought them out of Egypt. And the Torah was a way for them to live into that that call. And uh, and I think that's still how practicing Jews see it. Yeah, I, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think that most of my friends who are observant Jews and theologically reflective would sign, you know, that are self-consciously thinking about this stuff. Um, I say that just because I, I, sometimes I think Christianity is so theological by nature, but you could, you could be a, a very observant Jew and, and, and not be super theologically inclined. And that's not a deficiency. Like it's not, it's just, I think the characteristic of, of the faith is just different. Well, in some levels, maybe uh, sometimes our over theological orientation towards God can Move us away from the God of Abraham, Isaac. Oh, Isaac, I, I and agree. Jesus. Oh, and I, you know, and my, that's what Hollick's Hollick's. Yeah, my I, my friend Mark Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer, I talk about this all the time about like one of the things that like I think, you know, Judaism, you know, and 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 our mutual friend Leo Leibowitz is always like frustrated, like it's a religion, people. You got to believe stuff. You can't. Yeah. It can't just be the bagel loving Seinfeld Club of New York. But I think like what I find helpful about some of what Liel protests about on podcasts like Unorthodox is I think if there's a little more daylight between believing and belonging, like right, right. in Judaism, in, in certain forms of Christianity, 
especially certain Protestant forms. Believing is equated with belonging. And so if you have a season of uh, where you're in the dark night of the soul or your prayers seem like they're bouncing back off the ceiling, well, you don't belong anymore. And it, and it doesn't allow for... It can be actually psychologically cruel. No, I, I, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think... Um, and certainly, I mean, uh, although I think Luther, you know, where in some levels Luther uh, does a lot of damage with his doctrine. I mean, Luther and Calvin both intuit that. You know, believing, belonging, being closely related. I mean, that we need to, because I mean, I think, and again, I, this may be apocryphal, but I, and I can't tell you where it is, but this idea of Luther saying, if you can't, if you can't walk to the table, crawl, if you can't crawl, be carried. And I, I think that's because it's, because to me, what's implicit is that is that you belong regardless of where the current yeah. state of your soul is. When we did this podcast a few months ago about like, is my faith the object of my faith? Right. And definitely for Luther, it's not. No. And that enables him to have a lot of pastoral patience. Then for followers of Calvin, Calvin opens the door and most evangelicals have flung it wide open such that your your belonging is determined on your perception of your belief or maybe right. somebody else's if you stop believing right. in the rapture or something. But you kind of you know so it, I think that leaves people I mean unless you've got a really strong optimistic constitution about your own piety and things like right. that like then it works for you. But I think most people have messier self perceptions than that. I, and the other, and the problem with I mean functionally a lot of uh evangelicals according to statistics and such are more like the spiritual but not religious than you know, part of the mystical body of Christ. In other words, they're out there kind of on their own. They got their belief and, uh, you know, Jesus and me and my Bible, and then I can think and do whatever I want to. And so they, you know, they belong to a church of one or two, you know, themselves, <laughs> uh, which doesn't count. It's where two or three are gathered together. Uh, I and myself is not, does not count as two. Um, so I, I, what I like about this bar thing, and, I, and I'm, you know, again, I'm, I've enjoyed and I enjoyed spending some time in the, in the dogmatics last night, getting ready for this. So thank you for it's the, good for your soul. Well, all right, I, I'll give you a few minutes. All right, you know, it was not bad for my soul, but I think this offers a corrective. What's clearly in the scriptures, and again, I, you know, I, you and I have gone back and forth about this kind of neo-Lutheran uh, trying to put everything through the lenses of faith and law, and it's almost becomes like a mantra. So. Uh, and in the course of doing that, it, it actually distorts the biblical faith and, and leads us, I think, away from, uh, <clears throat> uh, I think of some of Luther's initial instincts were right. His application became problematic. And, and I want to give Brother Calvin kind of the same, the same, uh, uh, diagnosis. The Bible clearly talks about the idea that faith is worked out in love. That's not a working. In other words, it's not an earning thing. But when Jesus, Jesus doesn't say, come faith me, he says, come follow me. And the great commandment is to love God and to love neighbor. And that is not something that's separate from the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is, the, in many ways, the living revelation of Jesus Christ. He, you know, he embodies the love of God and he embodies the love of neighbor. And, and, and by becoming, by being baptized into Christ, we participate in that dynamic of love. I still think the most if I was if I was going to teach Christian ethics, okay, if you and all of you who teach Christian ethics, if you don't begin with Augustine on the you know a love ethic, which is such a wonderful way of looking at ethics, and if you don't spend any time with Thomas Aquinas, then don't call what you're doing Christian ethics. You can call it neo something, but don't call it Christian ethics. <laughs> neo. 
I mean, really, because in terms of this idea, this most basic idea of as a Christian, you know, uh, because we've been loved by God, because God first loved us, therefore we should love one another. Uh, I mean, we're coming upon Monday, Thursday, you know, the mandate. (laughs) What is the new commandment? To love as I have loved you. And the only way, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer reminds us, that we can actually fulfill that commandment is if the Christ in me is loving the Christ in you, because I am not inherently able to do that. And so this is where justification and sanctification, the separation of the two is not particularly helpful, because the very act of me being in Christ, the very act of God's justification enables me, because Christ is in me, to live out the great command uh, to love my neighbor as I love myself, and to love even more so, love my brother and my sister and my neighbor as Christ has loved us. Yeah, I always say two things. Like for for Bart, when Bart says like law, the gospel is law. I, I'd almost want to because again, what Garrish says about the descriptive nature of what Schleiermark thought about ethics and the Christian life. Like I think that I'd almost shorten that for gospel is invitation. You know, uh, the, the other thing I think for Paul, when he, when he is uh, living in God, in light of God's love, horizontally and vertically, it's, Christ, it's not him, but Christ in him. Christ in me. When yeah. he's screwing up, it's him. <laughs> so right. I, think there's a, I think there's a sense in which looking at like uh, understanding like our, our failure in relationship to love, which is what we're formed for, love and freedom. Like, it's us, and, and any correspondence we have to it, it's a gift. <laughs> yeah, I, I do think, you know, I, I, this could, again, I, I don't know if this is going to upset people. I, I think one of the weaknesses of Paul's spiritual psychology is there's part of him who can't reconcile the fact that he is in Christ and still falls short of Christ. I mean, I think the writer of 1 John is just more, I mean, the writer of 1 John is more matter of fact. You don't get any of these kind of spiritual gymnastics that you get sometimes in parts of Paul, depending on how you interpret some of those chapters in Paul. But the writer of 1 John, you know, if we say we're without sin, we're a liar. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins. So in other words, he's the writer of 1 John is writing to Christians He's reminding them that, you know, don't lie about what your, what your true state is. And then when you, do, when you do sin, confess your sins and you will be forgiven. In other words, it's, a, this, it's not in and out. It's just it's in and becoming, which, I, by the way, is a, is, a very, um, is a very Jewish approach to the idea of what's it mean to fall short of the covenantal promises. That doesn't kick you out of the covenant. There's ongoing ways to reestablish that covenantal relationship. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that that's. I mean, I think that that again, when I think somehow there is this sense. You know, Robert Jensen, his book "Story and Promise," and we talked about this a while back, I think. But he says that you know, all human communication kind of does something to me. It either obligates me or opens something. It impacts my future. And he right. says, you know, what when what the theological tradition has tended to call law. Is stuff that makes your future dependent on the past, in the sense of you've violated the ethic, the end, the telos of love, and so now you stand under condemnation. He says, "When I say something, I love you. It's a pro- it's a promise where your past is determined by the future. You know, so that right. he thinks that that the address of the gospel has to come in the form of 
of promise. So I'd almost say like what I see in Bart here, which I think is helpful because it, again, shows, I think that, that the invitation flows from the gift, you know, that it's almost like promise and invitation. Yeah. So yeah. Something of the, of that sort of thing. I think it's what's going on in, in this summary of Bart's gospel is law. Yeah. That's interesting. And I think our analogy that we created together last night, I think it was last night, is not a bad one. We were talking about the washing the dishes. Oh yeah, everything was yeah. Yeah, you basically, you know, if you're washing the dishes, your spouse is tired or something. You're doing something nice for them because you love them. Like then you're living descriptively. The, the, the you're living the telos of the gospel of love of 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 being generous and loving. But the second you start thinking about it, oh, I'm pretty good because I, I I recognize their you know their fatigue and I took on an extra responsibility. It poisons the whole thing. <laughs> right. And then this is the Borg corollary to your thing. Is But when you think, oh, look at how good I am, then you go, wait a minute, no. This doesn't make me good. I'm, I'm, it's a gift that I get to love this person and you know, quit thinking like I'm a big deal and just finish the dishes and thanks be to God, thanks be to this person who loves me. That's, I think, the living gospel corrective. Uh, it's not this cataclysmic fall, okay? You're not, it's not, you, you haven't immediately, you know, been kicked out of the garden when you think that way. The wonderful thing about the ongoing work of being in Christ is that the love of God and your love for the other person can be that impetus to do well. The ongoing ministry of the Holy Spirit and Christ within you and you in Christ can remind you, hey, yeah, this is what, don't, don't, don't get too excited about yourself and brings you back to where where the struggle to truly live in love, which to me is where, you know, the gospel and the law, you know, they were born out of the one who is love itself, and they were demonstrated perfectly in the one who is love incarnate. And I think Eugene Peterson says, which I think Bart would agree with, is that discipleship of the Christian life is about focusing more and more on Christ's righteousness and less and less on your own. And I think that, leads to the light of love in and of itself. Amen. Baby, I'll 
mares, pero 